I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Life is like swimming. Swimming teaches the value of working hard. All credit to my mom and dad, who never let my visual impairment deter them. They signed up their six-year-old, often protesting daughter for lessons. I wish I could say I took to swimming like a duck to water, but my love for swimming came with repeated lessons and long hours of practice. As I got older, swimming taught me the value of setting goals. I never swam competitively, but someone once told me I could have. Swimming is easily adapted for many abilities. In the water, there are no barriers. Today, we discuss disability, sport, and resilience. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Joetha Gupta and I'm joining you from the Accessible Media Studios, specifically in Studio 5. It's nice to be with you today. We're talking to a world-class Paralympian athlete, mom, social worker, and the author of a new book, Resilience, My Will to Survive. Daniel Campo-McLeod is, of course, well known in many circles, both athletic and beyond, and is the recipient of several awards, including being a member of the Order of Ontario. Daniel, hello and welcome to the program. Your book is a couple of months old. Congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you. It's so great to be here today. Hey, I've heard a wild rumor that uh, you are about to get an honorary doctorate. Is that true? That is a correct rumor. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yes, I was uh, actually when we launched Resurrections um, in uh, November at the uh, University of Windsor, where I'm from, uh, Windsor, Ontario. Um, they surprised me at the at that oh. launch by announcing that I was um, receiving an honorary doctorate in June. So very excited. That is very exciting. Hey, tell me a little bit about how the, the name of the book came around. Resurrections. What's that all about? Um, so for me, um, I I worked with a brilliant writer named Marty Beneteau, um, and together we collaborated this story. And I really wanted a uh, title that really spoke to just never giving up and sometimes being, you know, knocked down to our very, very core and having to use everything we've had to, you know, build ourselves back up. Um, and so when the, the title Resurrections was presented, I absolutely loved it because it hit something on every part of who I am as a mm. mom, as a swimmer, um, as, you know, overcoming many different medical challenges. Uh, this was the perfect title for me. And it really, for me, is a word that just instills hope that there's still more mm. after our hard times. Why did you feel that now was the right time to write a book relating your story? Uh, I thought that it was the right time um, because for my, I have three uh, young children. There's five in total. So uh, two are from my husband's previous marriage um, and they're 17 and 15. And then our biological children are three, sorry, six, three and one years old. Um, and I wanted my kids to know our story. I wanted them to get to hear it in, uh, in mom's words and, and to just, you know, give a thank you back to the community and to our country. Um, when I was really sick after my daughter's birth, um, our country and our community rallied behind me, um, and helped me to continue that fight to get home. Um, so it, it's my thank you letter to say thank you for that support. When you had your third child, you did get very sick. You were on a ventilator and spent a long time in hospital. 
You've had numerous medical challenges. What was it about that experience in particular that might have been different for you or made it particularly difficult for you? Um, so I was uh, diagnosed with muscular dystrophy at the age of two. So I always had that label and that title of living with a disability. You went to doctor's appointments and you knew that, you know, you were checking strong muscles and finding out what muscles were weaker or what organs were, mm -hmm. you know, needing a little bit uh, more support. Um, but what made this difference, this different is I went in having two very previous healthy pregnancies and deliveries with no issues. And I fully had no expectation that after giving birth to my daughter, um, I wouldn't remember anything. And the first thing I would re would remember was waking up on life support. Um, and so it was a, a, this was so different because A, it came so unexpected and B, it was really that battle of using every skill set, every tool that you've ever learned or developed to really bring me back to my goals of, of getting home to my family. Um, and really, you know, that greatest fear of waking up and your body's not working is what I experienced mm -hmm. and had to, you know, keep pushing hard to, to get those goals of, of going home. Mm -hmm. What kind of an impact did this have on your husband and on your kids? I, I mean, it goes without saying that it was a difficult time, but in what way was this experience transformative for them? Yeah, I am blessed with an incredible partner who was my rock through all of this. Uh, he was, you know, the medical expert when I needed him to be that. He was my greatest cheerleader. Um, he was that shoulder to cry on when you were, you know, having those dark moments of what's going on and, and the fear. And he really stayed, you know, strong in being right by my side, but also supporting our family. Um, my little kids, obviously, you know, they're very adaptable and resilient, but they didn't quite understand why mom left to have a baby and was gone for so long. Um, and my older kids really had to deal with the fear of, you know, understanding everything and, and not knowing um, and really relinquishing that control of we just had a lot of wait and see mm -hmm. time. And you also said that the book that you wrote was a thank you letter or a love letter to the community in the aftermath of this experience. In what way did the community come together for you? Um, uh, the community was incredible. Um, all over, they were lighting candles. Uh, all over the country, we were receiving messages um, of people lighting candles and sending energy and, and prayers and, you know, just helping to know that we were supported, um, as well as, um, you know, we were receiving messages from as far as France and South mm -hmm. Africa and all over. My husband was getting social media messages just saying, you know, we're praying for her or we're sending that positive energy for her. We're here if you need anything. And, and just, you know, you can imagine how dark and scary it is mm -hmm. when you go in to just have a baby and this happens and to know you had a community rallying behind you was incredible. Yeah, no, absolutely. It makes a huge difference to not have to do these things alone or to feel that you're alone in an experience like this. Shifting gears a little bit, you mentioned earlier that you co-wrote the book with another person. You have uh, with Marty, who's a well-known journalist in, in Windsor. What was that experience of writing your story with someone else like? Uh, it was an incredible experience. Um, I'd like to tell you I have the skill set to sit down in front of a computer and write an, a novel. Um, but I was quickly found out when I did that, that I, I do not have those. I could talk for hours and hours. <laughs> but to sit in front of a computer, I was watching that 
cursor blink thinking, okay, this isn't my, this isn't my strength. Um, and so it's surprisingly enough, one year ago today, Marty and I didn't even know each other. Um, mm. and, uh, actually got connected through the university of Windsor, where I did a talk for the, um, MBA program. Um, and then we, I just, you know, had that courage and, and trusted that courage to ask him and say, Hey, Marty, would you consider writing my book? I, I knew of him mm. in our community. Um, he's very well respected. And he said, you know, you're going to have to let me think about that one. It's not something that I've, <laughs> I've done before. So we met for a coffee. And if, if you didn't believe in fate, uh, we definitely, this story proves that we were, our paths were meant to cross and, uh, it was just a very unique relationship, um, being able to build that friendship and just feel completely comfortable to share my story and watch as he took my story that was inside of me and was able to put it to words. Um, it was just brilliant, the experience. And also a great deal of trust between two people because you're telling your story, but it is something you, I would imagine uh, you would want to remain in your voice. So how would you say you've accomplished that in the book? So you have somebody else writing your story, but you'd also probably want it to sound like you. Absolutely. So it was really important for us, one of our main priorities, that the book stayed real and raw and in my voice. Um, the foreword is the only part that uh, is not in my voice. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think by really just getting to know each other um, and talking and Marty put in incredible hours of dedication and work to making mm -hmm. sure um, that it stayed in my voice and that it was something that I would say, even right down to the humor that's in there is right straight from if it didn't come out of my mouth in our meetings, it is not mm -hmm. in that book. So um, it was quite unique how he was able to, you know, it is our biggest joke between the two of us, how, a, <laughs> a, a, you know, a man in his 60s is able to kind of channel a female in her 30s. And so <laughs> we made it work and um, we're just really, really proud of the end result. Yeah, no, it's a great book. I started reading it and uh, I wanted to actually finish it. And I almost, almost pulled an all-nighter yesterday to finish it. <laughs> but then I said, you know what, you're probably no good at this interview if you fall asleep on your keyboard. So I've, I'm going to go back and finish it over the weekend. Uh, but tell me a little bit about what sort of feedback you've gotten about the book. The feedback has been unbelievable and almost makes me speechless. Um, the book is is doing incredible and I'm so thankful. Um, some of the most impactful feedback I, I've heard is just how so many people from so many different walks of life are able to get something out of it. And it really meets mm -hmm. you where you're at and you can connect with different parts of your own story. Um, and to me, that was incredible um, and, and is so important because I really am no different than anyone else. And so being mm. able to share the gift of my story um, and hear that it's inspiring people to, you know, get through their own struggles or to hear someone say to me, you know, I know somebody going through a really hard time. So I gave them a copy mm. of your book and then to find out that that has assisted in them moving forward in a positive way. Um, is a greater impact than I could have ever imagined. So I'm just really, really thankful. But of course, your journey begins in a lot of ways with swimming. And so how did you find swimming? I, I mentioned in the opening essay that my parents signed me up for lessons and I didn't quite take to it right away. How did you get involved with swimming? So we have that, that in common. Uh, my parents, um, being diagnosed with muscular dystrophy at a young age, my parents really wanted to strengthen those good muscles. 
Um, my neuromuscular disorder affects my lower um, extremities. So uh, running and jumping and things like that were difficult. So as much as I, I pushed through and tried to be in hockey and, and dance and do everything my older brothers did, um, it wasn't my uh, area of freedom. And like you said, you know, it was barrier free in the water. Um, and so they actually put me in the water to start uh, for physio. Um, and I instantly loved the water. Um, it is a joke because neither one of my parents really like swimming. And we joke that my mom, we're pretty sure, doesn't even get her face wet in the shower. That's how much <laughs> she hates the water. Um, so when I just took to it and loved being in the water, um, they quickly saw that this was going to be an environment where I was limitless and I could set my goals and achieve those goals. And mm -hmm. so swimming just kind of progressed naturally where it, where it was the same as, you know, doing the swimming lessons as kids my age. And, and then um, it was a coach that, you know, recognized my love for the water and had asked my parents, you know, have you thought of competitive swimming? And that's how my journey began. Is it different once you are competing? Does it change your relationship to the sport? Um, I, for me, I only grew to love it more. I loved the adrenaline mm. before the races. I loved that moment of diving in the water and the outcome is unknown and get, you know, pushing your body to its absolute limits. Um, for me, uh, it, it was the best part of, of getting to be involved in the sport. Is there something about swimming that, um, might be that, that might help you think differently about your disability? Um, I guess the way that uh, maybe it was a clumsily phrased question, but is there something about being a swimmer, setting those goals, working to achieve them that may have changed the way you look at yourself as a person with a disability? Absolutely. I, I found that throughout life, we always living with a disability, we meet that world of making it kind of work for us or having to fit into those oddly shaped accessible ways. And um, for me, being able to take those struggles and take those difficult moments and throw them in the pool and turn it into watch what I can do. Um, you know, I was often having difficult times as a little kid. I remember at recess and with bullying and stuff. And then I could go pound that out in the water and, and be the same as everybody else in the water. Um, or just have the freedom to allow my body to move the way my mind wanted my body to move. Um, and so I'm so grateful to the gifts that I received from being in swimming, um, because it let me have a place where I could really be in control of my body, where oftentimes I found I had to adapt to my environment around me, where when I was in the water, I was in control of that environment. Do you think that we provide enough supports for Paralympians, especially swimmers who might want to uh, represent their country internationally? No, I definitely think we can always do, we can always do more. Um, I'm so grateful to the family and, and the sacrifices that my family made. Um, we always talk in our family for the longest time. We had no living room furniture, um, because mm -hmm. my parents had an empty room in the house, but we're paying for my swimming career. Um, and so, um, I really think it's that moment before you make Team Canada where you, you've got to get good enough to be on Team Canada. Um, and I'm sure our, our, um, Paralympic athletes could be supported even better when they are on Team Canada, mm -hmm. but it's that up and coming. It's having mm -hmm. the resources for those, 
um, athletes that, you know, would be, you know, the next best swimmer for Team Canada, but maybe can't get there because of, you know, barriers holding them back. We know living with a disability, we have added expenses and, and difficult things um, in that nature. So being able to really support those up and coming athletes, I think is really important. You also work as a social worker. Tell me, tell me about how you find that work and what uh, sort of jumps out at you in terms of the work that you do as a social worker and and some of what you have accomplished as an athlete. I wonder if there's any sort of connection or parallel there. For sure. I mean, as an athlete, it was all about setting goals and achieving those goals. And um, as a social worker, I'm just so honored that I get to walk alongside uh, people's journeys when they are, you know, maybe struggling to identify their goals or to identify what brings them joy and to help walk alongside them so that they can identify that and define their own um, success. So for me, it's been... Uh, it was a natural fit to go into mm -hmm. something like social work and, and bring um, my experiences as a swimmer and as a as a mom and as a woman into my work as a social worker. Oh, I've, I meant to ask you, uh, you said your parents aren't really big in, into swimming, but I'm assuming you passed on the genes to, to your kids. I They love the water. <laughs> I don't have any official competitive swimmers as of yet, um, but that's okay. I've, I've learned hockey and soccer, so I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm adapting, but uh, come summer, my kids are all in the pool all day long. So it is uh, great for easy bedtimes. So right now that is happy enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, your book is self-published. I wanted to ask you a bit about what that journey was like. Um, that journey was uh, like raising a toddler. That is how I like <laughs> One minute everything's going great. And the next minute you're just trying to find a pair of socks. That is the best way that I could describe um, self-publishing. Um we were really excited to get to, it was a learning curve. Neither Marty and I had ever done anything like this before. Um, and it was like, uh, thank again to my husband and his amazing um, team and, and friends that kind of came on and, and helped us uh, be able to do this. Um, but yeah, it, it was really an adventure. Um, when we finally hit that publish button for the first time, it was such a great accomplishment. And I was terrified all at the same time. I, was <laughs> like, I hope this is, we did it. And, uh, and then constantly making sure you were backing up that file so you didn't lose the book. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've all been burnt by that. Right. Uh, yeah. you, men you mentioned in our conversation earlier that the book was meant uh, to be from you to your kids, to be able to tell our story, you said, in your own voice and in your own words. As a mom, knowing that your kids were going to read that book someday, were there things you hesitated putting in there? Um, I thought about it. And then I thought about, you know what, we're all embarrassed by our parents at some point. So why not just have it in writing? <laughs> um, no, I really, I really am, am truthful when I say it's real, it's raw. And, uh, and I, I'm just really, uh, I, I had a lot of courage and, and shared, um, you know, and I'm sure as they get older, I'll get to hear from them, uh, what parts they don't like. My, my teenagers are, there are pictures in the book. And so the teenagers are always like, I can't believe you put that picture in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, in, in the end, uh, I, I really didn't hold back. I really just let my story be told and, uh, allowed, you know, whatever, Whatever feedback comes from my kids, well, I will deal with 
at the time. <laughs> well, the best way to hear your story is, of course, to have a bit of a listen. Now, you've got an excerpt you'd like to read for us. So why don't you go ahead and set it up for us and, and, and read a bit from your book? For sure. I would love to read the foreword to you because this is one of the very first things that um, Marty shared with me. And this was after reading this, I knew that I had picked the right person to help share my story. So this is the only part of the book that isn't in, uh, in my voice, but I'd love to share it. <laughs> so it says, for every hour of her infant daughter's life, Danielle Compo-McLeod has spent, by her estimation, 30 minutes in a hospital bed, surgical suite, rehab facility, specialist's office, waiting room, or ambulance, often with her life hanging in the balance week after week in survival mode, unable to be Morgan's mom. The Canadian Paralympic gold medalist and world record holder has run the gamut of miraculous recoveries, followed by devastating setbacks. Reunions with her husbands and kids, followed by gut-wrenching goodbyes, bags packed for the emergency, emergency room. First name basis with the nursing staff, a human pincushion of IVs, blood samples, drains, and antibiotics. 21 days in a hospital bed after complications from a post-delivery bowel surgery. Three surgeries in three weeks. Septic shock, five days in an induced coma, more surgeries, more setbacks, and more tears when the doctor said, we're so sorry, but we're losing Danielle. You need to say your goodbyes. While the threat of medical calamity hangs over Danielle, her husband, Denny, and their household, it is met its match in Danielle's steely de determination to survive. She will witness Morgan's first steps. She will teach her kids to swim. She will well up with pride when they take their Roman Catholic sacraments. She will cheerlead when they graduate co college. She will watch Denny walk Morgan down the aisle and party like a rock star at the reception. <laughs> That's that's beautiful. Thank um, you. He it it's really expresses uh, who you are, and I can see how you weren't just incredible co-writers, but wonderful friends to each other, and the warmth and yeah, the, absolutely. We've developed quite quite a wonderful friendship through all of this. So, what better gift could you ask out of that? It's it's a beautiful book and a gift to readers everywhere. Where can we get a copy? Absolutely. So we're very excited. Um, you can get a copy um, on Amazon. Uh, so Resurrections is available on Amazon. Um, you can also go uh, to my website, which is daniellecompo.com. Um, and purchase a copy there. If you're in the Windsor area, um, there are many local bookstores, River, uh, River Bookshop uh, in Amherstburg, uh, Biblioasis, and um, also both Indigos in uh, Windsor and Tecumseh are carrying the book. Danielle, it was so great to talk to you. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Your candor, your humor is deeply appreciated. And I hope you will someday write another book. Well, thank you. And, and hopefully, if Marty agrees, we'll be on to round two. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Danielle Campo is the author of Resurrections, My Will to Survive, which you can, of course, pick up on Amazon, daniellecampo.com, or at a local uh, bookstore in Windsor, in or around Windsor, if that's your cup of tea. And of course, uh, it's always good to read a book and uh, curl up with a good cup of tea, especially as the winter months are, are dragging on a bit. So this is definitely one to read or to give to somebody in your life who is a reader. That's all the time we have for the show today. I want
wanted to remind you to subscribe so you can get other videos like this one or to subscribe to the podcast. And of course, we would love to get your feedback. You can write to feedback at ami.ca. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to leave your permission to play the audio on the program. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at AMIAudio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. If you want to reach out to me directly on Twitter, you can find me at Juwita Gupta, also on Twitter. So whichever way you'd like, we'd love to get your feedback and to hear from you about the program. And also, if you have suggestions for guests and other content that you'd like to see on the channel, please let me know. That, as I said, is our show for today. Thank you very much for listening. Matthew McGurk is our videographer. Ryan Delahanty is the coordinator of a podcast at AMI-audio. Marco Flalo is our technical producer. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Juwita Gupta. Stay safe, everyone. Until next time.